Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. So as uh, uh, Tanto Vicky was saying, I just returned to Austin from Houston uh, day before yesterday. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I'm having some <laughs> disorientation being teleported right back to Houston, uh, but it's wonderful to see you. I, <clears throat> I wish I could be in the Zendo with you to give this talk. Um, but I'm very grateful to have this chance to see so many of you again. And I would like to thank our teacher, uh, Abbott Galen, for the invitation to offer a talk to you today. So I'm going to uh, chant some words from Dogen, which I hope will be familiar to at least some of you. It's a vow. We vow with all beings from this life on, throughout countless lives, to hear the true Dharma that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith. That upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma. And that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. So <clears throat> this is the first line of a text called Ehe Koso Hotsuganmo. Um, it's a chant in the Houston Zen Center chant book, and I hope it's familiar uh, to many of you. I, I thought about having us all chant it together, but there are people not in the Zendo without access to chant books, so I, I'm going to read extracts from it as I give this talk. Um, this text was the subject of my first formal Dharma talk when I was Shusou, or head student, at the Chapel Hill Zen Center uh, some years ago. Um, and it just came to me when uh, I was invited to give a talk today that I would like to return to it and speak about it. Uh, it's been about six years since I gave the talk the first time. Um, this is this text that I'm going to talk about is by Hey Dogen, uh, the founder of our school of Zen. And um, I encountered it because it's chanted at the San Francisco Zen Center. Um, and affiliate, affiliated temples like Houston Zen Center and Austin Zen Center, um, either as part of a regular chanting service or before lecture. Um, <clears throat> and I always loved this chant when I first heard it. I really fell in love with it. One uh, full single page of text. Uh, so from the very first hearing, it really grabbed me. To me, it's very Um, before I go further into the text itself, I just want to share briefly um, some context for Doro, this excuse uh, me. text that we have. Doro, can you hear me? Yes. We lost you for just a moment. Yes. So uh, we're having a little bit of uh, uh, Zoom fun um, <laughs> and a little bit of lag. I'm going to unpin your video and see if that helps. Okay. All right, we'll see what happens. I, I was informed by Zoom that it had stopped recording me and then immediately resumed, so I knew something was up. <laughs> okay. Um, shall I go on? We've lost her. She's talking about the first line. 
Uh, we lost you when you were talking about the first line. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll continue. Okay, now do you think? Can't hear me. We can. It's uh, it's in, lagging just a bit, so it's intermittent, just a bit. Choro, we are now back. We lost connection again, but we have now returned. Okay, so the Ehe Kalsogan Mon. Before I go uh, further uh, into the text itself, I just wanted to share a little bit of context. Um, the text that we chant, the, the page that's in the sutra book, is actually an excerpt from the Shobogenzo, from Dogen's Collected Teachings. And it's from a chapter that's called Keisei Sanchoku, or Valley Sounds and Mountain Colors. The chapter is a Dharma talk that Dogen gave to his monks in the year 1240 of the Common Era. And at some point, the idea came to someone to turn part of this longer chapter into a chant, and it, it, uh, it acquired the title, Ehe Koso Hotsugaimon. Uh, some say this happened during Dogen's lifetime, others say later, and I've asked a number of knowledgeable <laughs> folks, and no one seems to know uh, exactly when this might have happened. One translation of the title of this chant that we have uh, Ehe Koso Hotsuganmon is Great Ancestor. is named Eheji. So he is sometimes called Ehe Dogen, and he's also called, respectfully, you know, Dogen Zenji. He goes by many names. <laughs> Dogen Zenji means something like Zen Master Dogen. After his death, Dogen received a different honorary title, Excuse me, which Toro. is Koso Joyo Daishi. Toro, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. This is turning into a Dharma talk series. Um, <laughs> okay, so Dogen's honorary title after his death is Koso Joyo Daishi. High Ancestor, Bright Inheritance, Great Teacher. So the title of the text calls him Ehe Koso, Great or High Ancestor Dogen. The word Hotsu means to arouse or give rise to, to bring forth, and Ganmon is a written vow. So we might translate the title as High Ancestor Dogen's Aspiration Vow. And there are other such written vows, Ganmon, that other teachers offered earlier than Dogen Zenji. And in fact, the four vows that we chant are called the Shugu Se Ganmon. Ganmon, there's that word again. 
So a ganmon like this is a kind of standard form of writing and teaching, in this case, in the form of a vow or vows. Um, <clears throat> and I found all this interesting when I was investigating this text a few years ago. Now, the first line of the Ehe Koso Halsuganmon, you know, deserves a talk all by itself. I'll say it again. We vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma, that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith, that upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma, and that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. So in the sentence, this first sentence, I want to focus on three things, the word vow and the related words doubt and faith, uh, the idea of countless lives and the notion of renouncing worldly affairs. So when we vow something, we make a promise. And to me, the feeling is very serious. The word vow in English carries a lot of weight. Like we say, you know, marriage vows, wedding vows, you know, that kind of thing. We're making a lifetime commitment, or at least that's our intention. We mean these promises to last all of our lives. And the word devotion is related to this. It means to act out of vow, right? So we devote ourselves to practice. But together with that feeling of, of you know, Commitment is a sense that we, you know, we can't mess up. It's something that's serious. It's really heavy to break a vow. Sojin Mel Weitzman uh, said, it feels like failure. So as Sojin suggested, maybe we should think of vow as intention to lighten the load a little bit. And intention is something we nurture inside of us. And if we do mess up, we just return to our intention and we keep trying. And for me, this removes the feeling of guilt or condemnation when we stray from the vow. You know, these, these are the burdens that I at least carry. You know, it's not that it's nothing to forget or break our vows, but as Suzuki Roshi said, it's better to keep the precepts and break them or to take the precepts and break them than not to take these vows at all. So we vow with all beings, not by ourselves. Dogen returns to all beings at the end of this very long intro sentence too. All beings mean means we have lots of company in this intention, not just other people, but all beings. And although we do this in the present, we vow for countless lives. Now this idea of countless lives opens up big questions. Uh, about things like rebirth or reincarnation. But I don't think we need to dive into those questions to understand or to have a taste of this feeling of, of vastness, of unending intention, an intention to practice and realize the way that is limitless and not confined in any way. Um, it's related to another big topic, which is karma. Our intention to practice right now really has no beginning and no end. And the effects of our practice extend by what we usually think of as my life. And I'll return to this in a little bit. Next, Dogen states the aspiration that we will have no doubt and will have faith. I don't think this means not to have questions or sometimes even to wonder 
what are we doing? Why are we doing this? But to have faith is to have confidence in the efficacy or the power of the teachings and of practice. Rather than to block our questions, it implies trust and perseverance. And this trust really, you know, seems to be instantaneous in the way Dogen phrases it. Upon hearing the true Dharma right away. I think this is because for Dogen, practice is enlightenment. One moment of practice is the entire universe. Um, again, turning to Sojin, um, when he was talking about another early chapter of Dogen, which is the Genjo Koan, another of my favorites, uh, Sojin says, this is the advantage of practice. You can actually practice and experience enlightenment without understanding or knowing anything about it. So it's wonderful that we can do this. All we have to do is just step in. If you want to know how to swim, says Sojin, and get to the other side of the ocean, there is no way you can figure it out. You just step in and start swimming. Right. Um, in the Genjo Koan, it says, when you find your place right where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. <clears throat> Finding your place right where you are means to really completely be right where you are, on your spot, in any activity. And this is actualizing the fundamental point, says Sojin. So this vow and faith, when we hear and meet the true Dharma, leads us to renounce worldly affairs. But what is renunciation for all of us, those especially not living in a monastery? Can we do it? Or are we already out of luck in the first sentence? You know, renouncing worldly affairs is a big deal. Originally, Dogen had lay people following him, but later in life, he withdrew with his monks to the mountains, and he emphasized monastic practice, in part because of various political difficulties and jealous rivals, but also because he really thought being a monk was the most effective way to practice. It's so focused and without distraction. But early on, Dogen had written a guide to Zazen called the Fukan Zazengi, the recommendation of sitting for all people. And in this teaching, he speaks of sitting as realization. He wanted everyone to practice sitting, not just monks. <clears throat> and of course, we all know monks can have worldly affairs. They may worry about their families or money or health. They get bored. <laughs> they struggle with their habits and desires, just like all of us. But having fewer things in one's life and keeping a monastic schedule can be ex effective supports to practicing. But always, renunciation can be practiced as remaining with present experience, moment by moment, not only on the cushion, but at all other times. You know, right now, where am I? How is my breath? Where are my hands? Am I upright? Can I feel my feet or my seat? If we renounce everything else, but without pushing it away, just include it as it arises and practice continuity, that's a kind of renunciation. You know, when you're walking, be completely walking. Just do with whatever you're doing without anything extra. You don't have to be a homeless, penniless monk to renounce worldly affairs like this. We can all do it. 
Then Dogen circles back to all beings. We do not attain the Buddha way by ourselves any more than we vow by ourselves. The great earth and all living beings together attain the Buddha way. The rest of this text, uh, the rest of the essay, excuse me, that this text is drawn from supports this statement that we all together, the great earth and all living beings attain the Buddha way. Elsewhere in it, Dogen quotes an earlier master responding to a disciple. The student says, how do you turn mountains, rivers, and the great earth into the self? The teacher responded, how do you turn the self into mountains, rivers, and the great earth? So you could ask, is it you, me, who are awakened in the mountains? Or are the mountains awakened? Is there really a difference? Uh, the next statement that Dogen makes in the Ehe Koso Hotsuganon is, again, quoting Dogen, although our past evil karma has greatly accumulated, indeed being the cause and condition of obstacles in practicing the way, may all Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and free us from karmic effects, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. <clears throat> So in this translation, we hear about past evil karma. And I think this word evil, uh, again, has a very heavy connotation in English. Um, Although there are other references to evil karma in other texts, it's not a a one-off here. Um, Evil to me sounds like something you really wanna stay far away from, to run or hide from, or something that can't be redeemed. You know, it sounds kind of hopeless. Evil sounds rather hopeless to me. And we tend not to want to think of ourselves or of our actions as downright evil. Uh, the word in Japanese is aku, and Dogen has a fascicle also written in 1240, the same year that he composed uh, this text, uh, this other text called Shoaku Makusa, Refrain from Evil. And in that one, he comments extensively on an early text that says, to become Buddha, this is a famous statement, refrain from all evil, practice what is good, purify your intentions. This is the teaching of all Buddhas. Nevertheless, I would rather say something like unfortunate karma or unwholesome karma than evil karma. Unwholesome especially has the sense to me of not in accord with wholeness, karma that arises from actions that we take when we are not in accord with the way things really are. But really, we know that karma is neither good nor bad. It is the results of intentional action manifesting. It is also not really even an individual thing either. The results of many intentional actions are part of the causes and conditions that bring us into being and co-create our circumstances. It's not so personal as we often think it is when we say, you know, my karma. You know, it's like clinging to a self, actually. My karma. It's like mine. It's not just ours individually. Anyway, the results of past intentional action may cause obstacles for us, but without them, we wouldn't come to practice. 
If you're living in a completely heavenly realm like the devas or gods, you have no opportunity to practice. Fortunately, though, we, with our unfortunate karma, we have the Buddhas and ancestors to help us. Their compassion, which goes hand in hand with their wisdom, frees us or can help free us from karmic effects, but they don't absolve us. Their teaching can lead us to that leap of faith that Dogen speaks of in the first sentence when we hear the true Dharma, hard to find, and whatever our karma, we have no doubt and we do not lack in faith. Moreover, the compassion of the Buddhas fills the boundless universe, and again, the sense of endless vastness comes through. Uh, now we come to what is probably my favorite sentence in this text, uh, quoting Dogen, revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. So Bodhi mind is wisdom mind, awakened mind, the mind of the way. The word Bodhi and the word Buddha, as you know, share the same root, that of awakening, of being awake. Buddha is the awakened one. <clears throat> this sentence is pointing at non-duality, right? We are the ancestors. This is kind of counterintuitive, sounds counterfactual, but the ancestors are not in the past. They are not even somebody else. And not only are we not separate from each other, as we usually think, we are one ancestor. We are one Buddha. Dogen quotes a Chinese master, Lungya, and he offers another confident statement, which speaks again about time. This time, not future lives is at the start, but past lives, what we usually think of as past lives. Those who in past lives, says Lumya, were not enlightened, will now be enlightened in this life, save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. Before Buddhas were enlightened, they were the same as we. <clears throat> enlightened people of today are exactly as those of old. That's what Lumya says. Um, Lumya lived about 400 years before Dogen and was a Dharma heir of Dongshan, or Tozan Ryokai, um, who wrote the Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, which we chant. And these words, again, point to our unity with the ancestors. They were like us. We can be like them. Actually, we will be like them. <clears throat> uh, a more recent translation of this uh, line by Kaz Tanahashi uh, says, if you did not attain enlightenment in the past, do so now, kind of like an imperative. But still, this expresses confidence, deep confidence in our capacity to wake up. And this confident prediction is an important feature of Buddhism and the subject of another chapter by Dogen <clears throat> called Juki, giving prediction, a prediction of Buddhahood. Then we have this important exhortation save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. Kaz now says, liberate this body, that is the culmination of many lifetimes. But again, I don't think we need to understand this so personally as, you know, my life stream continuing. We can think of the vastness of life and time, all the creatures and worlds that ultimately produced us here and now, 
but to be born human and able to practice is a rare and fortunate state. This understanding is frequently expressed by Dogen and our Zen ancestors in general. So we're coming to the, <clears throat> the end of the text and Dogen says towards the end that this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. This, this expression is something that expresses one of his core teachings, which I mentioned before, that practice and enlightenment are one and the same. We do not practice to become enlightened. Practice is enlightenment. Sometimes it is said we practice because we are enlightened. We are, are already Buddha. There is nothing to get, nothing to attain. Anything we think we have realized, we let go of. Finally, Dogen returns to a key theme, which links to the first sentence's mentions of faith and doubt. And the theme is repentance. He says towards the end, quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions as this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. Confessing and repenting in this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. By revealing and disclosing our act of faith and practice before the Buddha, we melt away the root of transgressions by the power of our confession and repentance. This is the pure and simple color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. And that's the conclusion of Ehe Koso So for Dogen, and repentance in Zen, including a formal ceremony. But the confessing and repenting here Zen, we give up doing. Choro. We don't create karma if we are really just sitting. Excuse me, Choro. Yes. We lost you for about 15 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Repentance and vow go together. Uh, confessing and repenting, I think, is zazen, the formless repentance of zazen, of our primary practice. When we sit zazen, we give up doing. And we don't create karma, it is sometimes said, when we are just really sitting and doing nothing but. This is why it's called formless repentance. And the formless repentance of just sitting is also renunciation, which we spoke of earlier. What then is our lack of faith and practice? When we lose our, the root of our transgressions, our unwholesome karma is our ignorance. And we melt the root of this lack of faith by practice itself. In another essay in Shobogenzo called Gyoji, Dogen says this, on the great road of Buddha ancestors, there is always unsurpassable practice, continuous and sustained. It is the circle of the way and is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana, there is not a moment's gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. So the way is continuous practice, and we continually have to come back. 
Here again, the Buddha ancestors and their great road on which practice is a continuous circle uh, is called Dokkan. The circle of the way is like the succession of the ancestors itself in which we have our place. <clears throat> and the way is actualized here and now, not in medieval Japan or Tang Dynasty China. As Dogen says in Genjo Koan, and I quoted this before, when you find your way at this moment, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. For the place, the way is neither large nor small, neither yours nor others. The place and the way have not been carried over from the past, nor are they merely arising now. Accordingly, in the practice enlightenment of the Buddha way, meeting one thing is mastering it, doing one practice, is practicing completely. So uh, practice, continuous practice is undivided. It can't be other than yours, but it is doesn't belong to you personally. Your practice affects the entire earth, the entire sky in the 10 directions. And Dogen says, although not noticed by others or yourself, it is so, right? It is so. This letting go of attainment and being an ordinary person completely yourself is the pure and simple color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. The simple color is no particular color. Pure, unstained means non-dual and undivided. The true mind of faith and the true body of faith is the mind and body of practice. Sojin Roshi said, even though we don't know everything and don't even realize what we do <clears throat> realize, our practice is complete when we sit with a pure and non-discriminating mind. So you may not even know the complete meaning of your practice. And I would add, nevertheless, just do it. Thank you very much.